It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the system of a gang, the government for hire in a combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. As we know it. It's the hour of doom as we know it. It is? No. I think it's the hour of bloom. Oh, and I feel fine. uh, But perhaps (laughs) it's both the hour of doom Doom and and bloom. Yes. (laughs) Trouble on the way, but we can handle it. That's right. That's right. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. A serious second in a slimy and scurrilous world. Yuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me try to say that. A serious second in a slimy and scurrious world. Scurrilous, scurrilous. Scurrilous. Close, close though, close. Uh, I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 750 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a man, and I got a plan, and that's to put To drink a med- more coffee? To drink a lot of... <laughs> I'm drinking too much coffee, that's for sure. I'm wired. <laughs> 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 And that's to, my plan is actually to put, and your plan too. I'm still on my first cup. Is to put a medically prepared person in every family for yes. any disaster. Absolutely. And who are you? I'm Amy Alton. I'm also Nurse Amy. That's uh-huh. it. That's See, right. I haven't had all my coffee. <laughs> you haven't had enough coffee yet. Absolutely. More adva- coffee. Yes. More, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Luckily for me, I have the world's best coffee maker sitting right next to me. True that. Every morning he makes that coffee and I go, ah, oh, time uh, to wake up. You well, make excellent coffee, well, by the thank, way. You, thank you, so you much. kick Starbucks, but. Oh, well, <laughs> I wish. I think it's of all true. the money I would make just by selling oh, coffee to people. Cup yeah, of but that's going to take a lot of time. It is. We it don't is. have enough time. That's true. We're writing and doing videos and. All sorts of crazy writing stuff. Writing and doing yeah, videos. Yeah, right. Things and like writing that. And, and writing and writing. <laughs> together. Oh, well, let's not forget our radio shows. Yes, together, Nurse Amy and I are the watchers on the wall. And we watch it all for you to find that silver lining in the clouds on the horizon. Dun, friends dun, and neighbors. Dun, 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 dun. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a wistful wombat? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Brown's Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All right. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than 
post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge you, our audience, to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available, please. That's right. But when the rescue helicopter is nowhere to be seen and Mm -hmm. the ambulance is heading in the other direction, ha, you'd better have some supplies and some knowledge <laughs> in your noggin so you can deal with all the medical issues you might encounter. Don't worry. Do you, you got us zip, here to do help. Do you want me to zip my lip? No. Why? Why would I want you to zip your lip? <laughs> you you just keep t- laughing at me because I'm talking. I love I love when you laugh. You're so sweet. That's right. I am so sweet. You are. Hey, do you have a pearl of wisdom out there to share with us? I'll bet you do. Ha. Huh. We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It's easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you. Absolutely. Please feel free to contact us anytime by email at dr, that's for doctor, drbones, B-O-N-E-S, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at AOL.com. You can also find us on Facebook at our super-duper group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages Joe Alton, MD, uh, and Doom and Bloom, and a, even a couple more than that. Mm-hmm. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and our video cast the first and third Wednesdays of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, AroundTheCabin.com, and you can actually interact with us. We have a chat room, and you can talk to us and ask questions. Uh, we recently did a live show with Bobby Eckhart yes. on prepper broadcasting. I think it's called Prepping for Tomorrow. Prepping for Tomorrow. Show. And he had an interesting setup. He does a live show, which actually worked out pretty well back in the days. I'll say probably three and four and five years ago when we were doing live shows on Blog Talk. The sound quality was so awful. But... His show sounded really good, and we, yeah. were, and we were able to actually have call-in questions. That oh, was fun. Enjoy, we enjoyed those. And then he had this interesting situation afterwards where he had a Facebook group, and it was like a little chat room for, for the post-show. So that was a lot of fun. Bobby, thank you so much for inviting us. And Glenn, thank you for producing it. We wouldn't have been able to have those questions and call-ins if it wasn't for someone in the scenes behind, or in the... Behind, behind the scenes, behind the scenes <laughs> answering those phone calls and making sure that they get put on. So thank you, Glenn, and thank you, Bobby, for having us. Well, we appreciate our friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network and uh, all the other networks, actually, that the uh, that replay our shows. Yes, thank uh, let's you. Let's see, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central Radio, Shake and Wake Radio. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate your support. And make sure you check out their shows. They've got great hosts, great guests. Absolutely. And by the way, we also have, I don't know, have we mentioned our Survival Medicine Handbook? We have not. No. Our Survival Medicine Handbook's a guide for I don't think we mentioned our website either. Medical help is not a way. Oh, okay. Our website is uh, www.doomandbloom.net. So that has, gosh, uh, close to 800 articles at this point. And I'm not sure if you have to put in uh, www these days. Probably so you can not. try doomandbloom.net. Good, because I was tongue-tied. I'm always tongue-tied over that. I know. And and good news, folks. Both doomandbloom.net and store.doomandbloom.net are both HTTP 
P.S. P.S. Secured website. Now. They're secured website. Yes. Secured. Go there with confidence. Not that they weren't secure before, but, you know, <laughs> people just have a thing about that. So, right. no worries, folks. All right. Where else can you find us? Uh, got a lot of magazines like American Survival Guide, Survival Quarterly, Survivalist, Prepare, Backwoods Home. Lots of super magazines and all sorts of links from a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the internet. That was part of the writing and yeah. writing that I was talking right. about. <laughs> Hey, you know, in a survival setting, when you're struggling to make it mm -hmm. just another day, there's nothing that would horrify you more than the sight of food going to waste. Oh, yeah. Yet, the National Institute of Health says that U.S. consumers waste up to 50% more it. food, right, than mm -hmm. Americans did in the 1970s. Now, why is that? What are we doing? Ah, I'm going to tell you. In California, for example, 25% of all state landfill mass is thought to be related to food and agricultural waste, much of which is completely edible. I know, but it's funny because we were thinner back then, now we're fatter, but we're throwing more food away. So that doesn't make sense. You would think that we would be consuming all of that extra food that we have. Well, it just goes to show how spoil or how blessed we are that we have such an abundance of food that we yeah. can overfeed ourselves not just feed but overfeed ourselves and send food to other places and then toss all this food matter of fact restaurant besides restaurants and farmers which certainly contribute to mm -hmm. this the u.s a average u.s family of four discards about 1500 dollars worth of food a year and that's according oh, no. to the usda now that statistically doesn't warm the cockle of any cockles of any prepper's heart, but there are a lot of supply. I mean, think about it. I mean, there are a lot of supplies that you can buy for fifteen hundred bucks. So what's oh a lot? Are you kidding? Ooh, you know what I would love to have? They have this machine. I'm sure everybody out there is like, yeah, I've seen that. It it's a home freeze dryer. It's Whoa, been out yeah. for a couple of years. Oh, those are awesome. Yeah. I keep seeing them. I'm like, ooh, I really want one of those. <laughs> but I think they're like 3000 or something. What? Or oh, my four, gosh. I think. Well, that is a lot of money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why That's why we do not own one. <laughs> all right. So what's behind all this food wastage? Well, you know what? Decades ago, fresh food was, believe it or not, less desirable, maybe even perceived as dangerous Uh maybe 100 years ago, due to the prevalence of infectious organisms and proper food preparation practices. I mean, what you would do back then is you'd reach for a salted piece of fish or meat or relied on canned foods, which were apparently somewhat safer. Uh, frozen food back then wasn't frowned upon right now. It is by some people today. But over the years, fresh food has become so safe and widely available. For, I mean, you can get bananas in Montana. You can get quinoa safe, safe in Florida. Un, safe unless it's got mm -hmm. E. coli. Yeah, yeah. That, and that indeed happens from time to time. I mean, who expects you're going to eat a salad, you, mm -hmm. lettuce, and then you get E. coli? Well, what I'm thinking is that since we can get just about anything we want, and oftentimes out of season due to all these imports, um, of food that are coming in, mm -hmm. uh, we might just be becoming food snobs. I mean, you look for the fresh <laughs> food, true, food snobs. Looking for the freshest food oh easily, goodness. it easily turns into a game of what's the best looking product. Right. And that's produce. why the farmers end up throwing it away because if it has a scratch or a blemish, it could be perfectly fine inside, 
but folks won't buy it because it doesn't look great. That's called food aesthetics. And what you're doing is you're looking for that purple apple. Uh, purple. Purple? Perf- <laughs> perfect apple. Is there a purple uh, apple? Hey, there, may, there probably is. Probably uh, a variety. That perfect apple and the, the result is that blemished items end up in landfills and they never see the inside of a supermarket. Which oh. would make good compost, folks. That's right. That's what you need to do with your leftover food. Now, only the best specimens... Not, not your meat, though. <laughs> only the best specimens make the cut into onto U.S. food shelves. A lot of product is excluded earlier in the supply chain because not everything grows that perfectly. And that's from a scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council. This desire for perfect food is generating food and agricultural rubbish mm-hmm. like never before. It's not, li- it's not just that's cosmetics right. of looking... Of, of what food looks like, but the economics has something to do with it as well. Of course, big crop producers sometimes throw out edible food just because the cost of harvesting and, la- and and labor can make processing that food, that crop, un- wow. profitable. Of course, hunger... Well, I mean, it makes sense because the price of food goes up and down. Apples this year. Isn't it ridiculous what an apple costs per I think pound? Those, I think those Honeycrisp apples cost like five bucks a pound. Where we are, at least. And an apple is not a light thing. It's got a lot of water in it, which makes it very heavy. Sure. So apples are ridiculous. But, however, if there's a time when apples are, you know, 50 cents a pound or a dollar a pound, and you've got to pay a lot of money to harvest them, and the, the labor of shipping and everything, they probably, like you said, just end up throwing it out. Sure, corn comes you know, to mind and, and other, other types of crops that you don't get a lot of money for. Mm-hmm. Um, right, especially per, corn. per bushel. Right. Now, of course, one of our big issues in the world is hunger and poverty. They're real problems. And, I mean, that's today. That's mm-hmm. in good times, not to mention the uncertain future. Uh, there are populations in the world that are growing exponentially. Their food demand is going to grow along with it. And that's going to give new urgency to making every calorie count when it comes to food availability. I mean, they say mm-hmm. that the human population is going to reach almost 10 billion by 2050. And 2050 <sighs> sounds like a long way off, but it's not so long. That's not oh. so long from now. Time goes much faster when you get older. <laughs> that's right. <They're, laughs> yeah. It's not like a slow tick. Like, yeah. oh, Christmas is next month. No, it's like Christmas is here and Christmas is here and Christmas is here. Exactly. Well, all I got to say is that with that many, that many people, believe me, every, and, and every person has a mouth. It's a lot of people. Every person has a mouth to feed somebody somewhere is going to be happy to have that funny looking potato or that apple with a blemish in it sure now or uh, the sprouting eye in the potato yes which you know oh goodness we cannot have potatoes that sprout eyes in the grocery store so they spray them yes well you can that's why you can never tell secrets in a grocery store because it Potatoes have eyes and the corn has ears. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> well, anyhow, oh. science, scientists and researchers are seeking technological solutions to deal with food wastage, including converting it to energy. But the truth is, is the real goal should be to feed people, not landfills. Right. Spoiled societies like ours can throw away a lot of imperfect food now, but one day that spoiled society might be reduced to eating spoiled food 
So be a little more lenient on that apple that has a little bruise on it. Yep. Somewhere in this world, there's somebody that wishes they could have the produce that isn't pretty enough for your table. Absolutely. Okay, also in the news, a newly developed vaccine that researchers hope will prove effective at destroying cancer tumors in cases where all their treatments have failed is currently being studied in Great Britain. Now, similar to how vaccines protect us from certain infections, the treatment attempts to recruit the body's own immune system to attack and destroy, in this case, cancer cells. Mm -hmm. Now, vaccines typically work by injecting a patient with small amounts of antigens. These are substances that are capable of stimulating an immune response. And what that does is it causes the body to produce something called antibodies. And those things specialize in the finding and eliminating of uh, an organism or let's say a virus, like polio virus, mm -hmm. for example. The ability to generate these antibodies sometimes lasts for years and sometimes even the lifetime of the individual. So it does give protection, oftentimes long-lasting, not always, though. Now, the new vaccine being tested is comprised of small fragments of an enzyme that's found in cancer cells. So they've taken this stuff out of cancer cells to make this new vaccine. Now, scientists are hopeful that the vaccine is going to stimulate patients' immune systems to produce antibodies that can target this enzyme, thus preventing cancer cell reproduction. And nipping the tumor in the bud in, hey. at the same time. Now, I, I just want to make one point very, very clear for those folks who are completely anti-vaccine. I understand your, your feelings. I understand your ideas. I respect that absolutely. But you need to understand that the vaccine that we are discussing right here is not given to healthy individuals. It is given to people who have cancer, who may likely die from yeah, not, this disease. Not just that, specifically people that have terminal cancer. Exactly. So this is their only hope. This is allowing their body, if you understand what Dr. Bones just said, is going to allow their own body to let the immune system work. What happens with cancer cells is they don't allow your immune system to attack them or kill them. They have a protection. And so this gets rid of that protection. It allows your body to fight the cancer, okay? Unlike chemotherapy, which is directly not only killing cancer cells, hopefully, but also kills normal your live normal tissue that you need. So this is... Absolutely a miracle, folks. Just because you hear the word vaccine, do not go poo-poo on it. It could save you or a family member's life. I hope this continues to work. I hope that they fine-tune it and, you know, really get this out there for a lot of different cancers out there. Because uh, Dr. Bones and I both lost our mother, our mothers to cancer. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. And we don't wish that on anyone. And if we could have a cancer cure, my goodness, how life could be improved for so, so many people. The investigators behind this particular vaccine believe that it could be effective for all types of tumors, which it, is a heck of it, a statement. It, just a miracle, really. If, if, it, if it works. Yes. I mean, we have to see. But it is pretty amazing that they can make that claim because pretty much every cancer tumor is, is a little bit different. There mm -hmm. are certain types of cancers that go across different organs but different organs have their own cancers absolutely and it, and it affects 
different parts of the cells sometimes. That's right. And each one of these cancers protect themselves from your immune system in different ways. Right. So the fact that they can figure out and tailor a vaccine to your type of cancer, I, I don't know how much more to say. It, it is a miracle in my mind. My mom passed in 1983. I've been hoping for something since then. It's been a very long time, and this is a glimmer of hope for folks because, frankly, chemotherapy is a a horrible thing to go through. I, oh, yeah. Well, let's hope this cancer turns out to be a game changer for the cancer patient. I hope it gives some hope. That's right. Where none now exists. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Hey, why don't you tell people where we're yes. going to be? Oh, where we're going to be. We got so many places to be. <laughs> well, the first thing we're going to be at next is April 9th and 10th, the Mother Earth News Fair in Asheville, North Carolina beautiful place can't wait to be there following that we're going to be going back to north carolina for the carolina readiness event which is called heritage life skills it's their fifth one that will be starting on friday may 29th you are actually one of the keynote speakers no way friday evening yes oh my goodness uh so it's a, a friday event saturday we'll be doing a suture class at 9 a.m and Sunday, we're starting a brand new class. We are still putting together the equipment. So anyway, that one is going to be Sunday at 1.30. The following weekend, we will be in Richmond, Virginia. We'll be doing a suture class. That is the NPSexpo.com for more information. Also, you can check out doomandbloom.net, our medical class page. Following week, we will be in Dallas, Texas. Yay, Texas. And we will be doing a suture class that is on a Friday, May 13th, Friday the 13th, Ooh. at 3 p.m. So, folks, we're going to be in North Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and then Dallas. And then the first weekend in June, we'll be in Oregon, and that is for another Mother Earth News Fair event. That's right. Wow. Well, we're going to be in a lot of places. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I was having, I'm having fun trying to make reservations <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that We if may or you're may not there, have a place yeah. to sleep. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope if you are in any of those areas that you'll come by and say hi and see uh, our lectures or take one of our classes or just look around. And, and I'm sure each one of those events is going to be very interesting a lot of fun oh yeah it's always a lot of fun we love to meet people so absolutely. come on by say hi don't be shy absolutely well the mother earth news fair events are actually a lot of homesteading so if you're interested in gardening uh raising animals uh, there's a lot of beekeeping folks around and there's folks that are there doing talks educating and also you can ask people questions at their booths Hey, we've got a great guest for you today, our good friend and colleague, Charlie Hogwood. Charlie Hogwood was born and raised in Florida, and he's the author of the leading resource on leadership and survival groups called The Survival Group Handbook, How to Plan, Organize, and Lead People for Short or Long-Term Survival. Prior to focusing his life on personal emergency preparedness, he served over 15 years in both the U.S. Army and the Florida National Guard. Thanks for your service, Charlie. His experience has been tested on several continents and in many natural disasters, including the Chernobyl meltdown in Europe and Hurricane Andrew in South Florida. During his time as a lead scout with the 11th Armored Cavalry, he spent years deployed to Europe, honing his skills in reconnaissance, first aid, and humanitarian missions. As an infantry squad leader with the Florida National Guard, he's qualified as a jungle expert. 
at the U.S. Army Jungle Survival School and did several tours through the Panama Canal Zone. Skills that he now shares with others to prove the theory that more knowledge means less need for materials. In addition, he has provided security for foreign dignitaries, government officials, and after leaving the armed forces, Charlie has continued to fortify his skills in disaster and family emergency preparedness. And now our friend, Charlie Hogwood. Okay, today we're talking with Charlie Hogwood, our good friend and author of the Bible for survival groups, and that's called the Survival Group Handbook. Charlie, are you there? I'm here, Joe. Well, it is awesome to have you on, as always. Charlie's one of our very best friends and also a brand new father. I am, yes. Oh. <laughs> Baby Contessa just showed up here last week, and boy, she's got control of the household already. <laughs> Isn't that the way it always is? Charlie, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to write the Survival Group Handbook. Well, Joe, I've got over 15 years in the U.S. Army as a scout, infantry squad leader in a number of different uh, uh, tactical fields, operational fields, and a lot of planning. And my my tours around the world uh, had me in areas where I was seeing the real fallout of Chernobyl in 1986 when I was stationed in Germany measuring radiation. I was in Hurricane Andrew in Florida uh, with the Florida National Guard. And those are just two examples of, of what I saw people not prepared and what happens. And I saw the people that were prepared and how they fared through those kind of disasters. And uh, it really piqued my interest. And we decided, why don't we take this hobby and do something more with it? Uh, this prepping hobby, and here we are. And and a friend of ours got together and you know with us and said, why don't you write a book on on how to get the people part of prepping together? And so hatched was the mutual assistance groups. Uh, the very first version of our book was called Mags, the people part of prepping, and then it can you know, grew into the survival group handbook. And now it's the only one ever been written on that topic. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us with it. And that's why I call it the Bible of Survival Groups. It's something that you definitely should get. I know it's on Amazon.com, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about how people can get a copy of your book in just a little while. Let's say you get a group together, Charlie, and they agree to cooperate in the aftermath of a major disaster. What are some things that should be happening now? The first things that you've got to do once you start getting your people together is is figure out how are you going to dispense the information to them? How are you going to communicate? Uh, a lot of people jump into it without any really good planning. And I like to say, let's have regular meetings. And every group operates at such a higher level with regular meetings. And uh, a lot of people get together and say, well, our meetings don't work, or you know, we have apathy and, and problems in our group. So what I like to say is, at least once a month, uh, let's make some opportunities for a meeting. And, and not just that once a month, if possible, start doing other opportunities throughout the month, some training and exercise opportunities. That way the, the people in the group will start to actually feel like something is happening and then you're doing something productive. Because a lot of groups actually lose members because they feel like nothing's happening, the events are not worth participating in, a lot of people feel like they're above the events that are happening. And, uh, you know, we're competing with family operations, you know, sports teams and things like that. So make your meetings a little bit more informational and have them at, at a minimum once a month. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, perhaps also to 
put together some kind of social gathering because I, I think it's just so important to have that personal touch and, and I believe that it'll really give people the opportunity to get to know each other. I think that's something that people may be of like minds, but they may not really be friends. And so I think it, it's a good idea to have people have some kind of emotional investment in each other. And in that circumstance, it'll be more important for them. They'll know how important it is to cooperate with each other and to help each other in times of trouble. You're absolutely right. And that's, and that's what it is. You've got to build those relationships first. Uh, you've got a lot of people. And for example, let's say we had a disaster type of event and you don't know your neighbors and all of a sudden you find yourself having to work together. If you don't know their personalities, if you don't know their skills, their abilities, uh, their quirks, uh, those kind of things, and then all of a sudden you start getting a bunch of people doing stuff that they're not used to doing and trying to do it together, uh, you'll find that there's all kinds of dysfunctions going to come out, and things could be a lot worse. Absolutely. I would think that that is going to be the definition of stress is trying to connect with people that you really don't know, and so few of us really know our neighbors very well these days. I think that that is really, really good advice. Now, let's say that you're having these meetings, what are some problems that you would expect people having growing pains in the survival group to see at these meetings? And what are some easy to remember tips to make sure the group meeting stays on track? Well, Joe, the most common complaints that we hear at uh, that the group meetings either don't happen, they take too long, they're disorganized and they're a waste of people's time. The best practice is to take the time to actually plan your meeting beforehand. Only then, once you've got it planned and prepared, and it does not have to be a big complicated thing, at least just create some sort of an agenda. You want to be able to keep your meeting on track. You want to offer useful information to the people that actually take time out of their busy day to show up. And you want to have, like you said earlier, some kind of social component, like food or an exercise, like a team building exercise or a game or something, something relevant to what you're doing. During the meeting, you want to make sure that you make some solid decisions, assign tasks to be completed, and make sure that you end your meeting at the specified time. So when people come in, they get a copy of the agenda, they know what you're going to talk about, new business, old business, what decisions need to be made, and then you're going to, those teams that you, or people that you gave a task to last month, check on them, see how things went, keep them on, on track so that when this meeting shows up, you had progress. So don't just throw people to the wolves, show up you know, three or four weeks later on and say, well, how'd it go? Stay with your people. Stay in communication with your people and make sure things are getting done. Give them the support and the guidance they need. And make sure you assign the people roles that fit their personalities, their resources, and abilities. Because the uh, worst thing you can do is just turn somebody loose with a task that is ill-defined, unsupported, and they don't know anything about it. So assign those roles properly. And then at the end of those meetings, make sure you end at a specified time. That way people know what they're getting into and then they leave with something beneficial, and they look forward to coming back. Try to keep your meetings less than two hours and end on a high note with a solid date for the next meeting. One of the, most, uh, the best things you can do as a group is to say, let's standardize our meeting dates. Let's don't leave them up in the air where people can't plan because we all have families, and this prepping survival thing is supposed to be secondary to everything that we do. So pick a date like, First Tuesday of the month, second Saturday of the month, something like that that is static and works for everybody else's schedule. And try not to move those things around. But if you also offer people other opportunities to meet during the month, like we're going to go to the range. If you want to come along, great. If we're going to go camping, if you want to come along, great. If not, we understand. But try to keep people engaged. That's the best thing you can do when it comes to meetings and keeping them on track. 
tell me a little bit about some of the reasons that groups like this tend to fail or, or never really get started. Well, well, Joe, as you know, we consult and meet with groups all over the country. We either travel or we Skype or we phone call with them. And, and I always want to ask them, what are your challenges and what are your successes as a group? And a couple of the most common things that we find uh, that groups fail or never really get started in the first place uh, usually starts out with the way the groups are put together. There are really two ways to put a group together. Now, think about this for a second. If you were to gather some people and then try to make everybody happy, let's say, you know what, Joe, let's build a survival group. We're going to get everybody together, and then we're going to start asking questions and figure out what everybody wants to do and how we're going to do it. You know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to have, there's going to be 10 different people, 10 different ideas. 100 different people, 100 different ideas. And nothing's ever going to get done. Or you're going to get a bunch of people that go along with you for a month, two months, six months or more, and they're going to say, you know what, this isn't really what my expectations were. Everybody goes into a new arrangement with an expectation, and expectations got to be tempered or they're going to cause trouble along the way. So it doesn't do you any good to gather, gather a bunch of people together and say, let's, let's figure this out. What is a better way to do this is to consider what you want from a group in the first place, whether you're starting one or joining one. You need to figure out what works for you and what you want to do. Figure out what direction you want to take the group and then set some realistic goals to get there. When you do it the second way, people are going to know what they're getting into sooner than later, and this also helps people uh, get out who don't like the way you're doing things. So people, they know what their expectations are exactly going in, and they say, you know what, that works for me. I want to stay around for a while. Or they're going to say, you know what, it's not really working for me. It's not what I'm looking for. I think I'm going to do something different. The best thing you can do is get rid of people earlier than later because the longer people stay around with discontent or unhappiness, that's going to spread like an infection in your group, and people are going to start polarizing. They're going to be pulling away. They're not going to participate. And you think you've got a whole lot of people in the group. At the end of the day, you'll be like so many groups I talk to who say, oh, we've got 100 people in our group. By the time I've talked to them for about 20 minutes, they say, well, maybe we only have about 8 or 10 people in our group because yeah. those are the ones really showing up. The truth of the matter is that it's really hard for people really to get together. It's just hard for everyone to be of like mind and the things that you're doing charlie i think to try to keep people on track to having an effective group i think that's important and and those are really important goals uh, tell us a little bit about those goals what goals are important or are goals important when considering your group well they're actually very important and we we hear this in our daily lives all the time well you got to set goals to get anywhere well it's kind of true nobody wants to mess with it because a lot of people don't really understand what goals really are. It's always easier to accomplish a difficult task if you break it down into smaller manageable tasks. So what sounds more reasonable? Let's say we get together and we want to build a survival group to prepare for the end of the world. Or does it sound more sensible? We are going to organize 10 friends and family We're going to, for three weeks of supplies for the next disaster event so we're not standing in line for food and water. And what is that disaster event? Well, your hazard analysis, which we talk about often, in our writings, in our book, and on our shows, is what can possibly happen around you and how will it impact you? What's the chances of those hazards happening? So once you do your hazard analysis, then you'll have a better idea of what you need to prepare for and how to prepare. I think those are all good ideas, but are, are good ideas and your goals the same thing? How do you make sure that these ideas are actually achievable? Well, the key word in your, in your question is, is it achievable? Goals can be tricky if you're not careful. There's a lot of great ideas, but if you look at an idea 
it doesn't really have anything actionable. It just it's something that we want to do. We all talk about, oh, we want to be rich. Oh, we want to have that Bentley. Oh, we want to, you know, have a nice house and you know, out in the country somewhere. Well, hopes and dreams are one thing, but if you really want to do those things, you got to have some sort of a map to get there. When setting a goal, the best way to go around doing this is to consider the criteria of SMART. S M A R T. It's got your idea, your goal needs to be specific. What exactly are we trying to do? It's got to be measurable. We have to have a way to measure it and say, well, are we or are we not achieving what we're trying to do? It's also got to be attainable. Is this goal even possible? If it's possible, how do we do it? It's got to be relevant. Our idea might sound great, but is it really relevant to what we're trying to accomplish here? And it's got to be time-bound. It's got to be able to be accomplished in a certain amount of time. If, it's, if your goal is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, you can actually identify it and get it done in a certain period of time. If your idea is not smart, you will find that it never gets done because there was no clear path or resources to say how and when it's actually completed. You'll end up wasting time and money and energy, and you'll end up being distracted from the other important things that your group was designed to accomplish. And this goes all the way back to the beginning where we started is why groups often fail. No defined direction and a waste of everyone's time. So specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound, that's smart s and and that that's that is indeed smart <laughs> and see we what we try to do in our writings in in the book the survival group handbook in our dvs in our in our all of our documents and stuff that we do we try to make it as simple and easy to follow as possible and you know there's a lot of theory and everybody has an idea on something but you know how we are when you come to me and ask me a question i want to give you a solid answer of this is why we do it this is how we do it and you know this is how you know you got it done Okay, we're learning a lot from Charlie Hogwood of Ready Go Prep, but we need to take a short break, so we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to The Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Joe Alden, MD of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 600 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Along with my wife, nurse practitioner Amy Alden, we're the authors of the Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, with over 200 five-star reviews. A disaster can strike at any time, and the ambulance may not always be heading in your direction. We've got an entire line of medical kits, supplies, and educational resources that can help you deal with injuries and illness in everything from a wilderness hike to the aftermath of a major disaster. Check them out at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. In a disaster, you'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And today we have Charlie Hogwood, author of the Survival Group Handbook, a great friend, a brand new father. And we are going to continue our conversation. Charlie, you know, we've talked about goals and we've talked about a number of other things, but let's go back to the beginning. How do we find other people that might be thinking the same way we are and might be amenable to cooperating with well that's that's a great question and it's one of the very first things that you need to do is find people that will actually go along with what you've got in mind for for your group and and don't get wrapped around the axle when we say well we're forming a survival group it's not a crazy paramilitary thing unless that's what you want it to be uh the best places that you can find people are start with your inner circle survival is going to be most achievable if you work within your, I'd like to say your bloodline or your friends or your family, your existing relationships. 
Um, a lot of people want to jump right out and start finding strangers and put them in a group and, and get started. There's, a, there's some pros to that. There's some cons to that. The pros to that is, is like when you work, when you hire somebody, you don't want to hire family or friends because that doesn't always work. But on the other hand, you know, you can't always trust those kind of people. So until you build those relationships, start within the family. If you don't have support at home through your spouse, through your children, through your parents, or anybody that lives in your immediate family, your survival group is going to get off on, the, on a hard foot because you're going to start having you know, unknown people coming in, and everybody's going to have to work on trust first. It's like dating. We call it the survival marriage. When you first put people together, you need to do it with the intention of dating, and those people will be around your family in very tough times. So start with your family, then start going into your community. What are your, your groups are you already in? Are you in a beekeeping group, a gardening group, or something else that actually relates to survival in some fashion? Go right. there. A church would be great. Churches are amazing for that. And a lot of people don't want to go to the church because they want, they're afraid that they'll be looked at funny for preparing for disasters. Don't. Frame your conversation. I, we go to the people in charge of your church and say, I'd like to form an emergency committee that would help our, our people at our church and the community even in case of a disaster. And then use that as a funneling type of operation. And when you see people at the church that you really do relate to, then invite those into your more personal group. So now you're, you're creating layers of protection in relationships. Well, I think that makes so much sense because people at your church would be uh, amenable, let's say, to your giving a little talk about preparedness, for example as part of uh, one of the meetings that go along with that. You might belong to a civic club, a rotary club, lions club, things like that. And they might be interested in hearing your thoughts on preparedness. You might find people like that, people you already know that actually will listen to what you say and they'll say, hmm, actually that makes a lot of sense. And indeed, getting a group together makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Frame your discussion. Remember, you don't need to start out with, I'm preparing for the end of you know, the dollar or something crazy like that. Start out with saying, hey, you know what? Let's go camping. I like to go to the range and go shooting. And you start developing a relationship. If you just jump out and say, say something crazy, people are going to automatically put the shields up. You want to right. soothe them into a relationship and then see how it goes from there. That way you don't give away too much of your personal information or what we call your OPSEC, your operational security, about what you're already doing. Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the first people that I ever talked about this was a, a young couple, and they sounded very normal, but after a period of time, the young wife, she mentioned to me about all the visions that she was having. <laughs> and, so, and they were pretty far out there, and so they didn't turn out to be a fit for us. And so what, what kind of – how do you vet people like this? Well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. We actually had to come up with a term. I talk to people at shows all over the country. And one minute you're sitting there talking to this lovely little, like Aunt B from the Andy Griffith Show. You're having a great conversation about, you know, jams and jellies. And the next moment she's talking about because martial law is coming. And we call it survival drift. It just, you know, it's like whiplash in a conversation. So that's why it's so important. Don't just jump out and invite everybody over to the house. Build a little bit of a relationship. Start start doing those things that uh, that people will start finding interesting together. Go like I said, go to the range. Go do something out at a at a park. Go out and you know do some some canning with some jellies and stuff before you start telling everybody well how much 
you know, arms and ammo and all that stuff that you got stocked. Don't share all that information yet. That information is like your bank account. Anything that you wouldn't tell your bank account to anybody, then don't don't tell them your your other information. But have those conversations about well, what are you interested in? Are you thinking about disaster? Start bringing up stuff in the news. If you start saying, did you see what happened with TSA the other day? And those people go off the deep end. If that doesn't work for you, then maybe now's your time to check out of the conversation and say something like, I got to go rearrange my sock drawer and you head home. There's, there's a there, good idea. Give yourself an opportunity to back out of a conversation at any time. Never ask questions that you would not want to answer yourself is one of the biggest keys that I always say. Because if you're too probing in your questions, you're going to turn those people off. Because preppers are not really always chatty about what they do and how they do it. So just start a conversation, and, and when you feel uncomfortable, walk away. If it feels comfortable, keep it going. Make opportunities to get together and, and further the conversation. There's no hurry to do this. Because if you get somebody in there too soon and they know all your secrets, well, that could be a problem for you later on. Let me ask you this. This is something that I hear questions about all the time, and that's the number of people in a survival group. What do you think is an optimal number? Well, an optimal number is, depends on your resources. Uh, where are you going to be? How are you going to be there? Do you have 100 acres? Can, do you have food for enough people? Uh, you know, that's one thing. But a lot of people say, well, there's only me and my wife, or there's only me and my husband or my, our, our best friend. And you say, well, I've only got three people. Well, in actuality, you've got to start thinking about who's coming along. Let's say something bad does happen, and you find that, you know what, it's time to activate our little group and get together. Three people could quickly be 25, 28 people before you know it. Because they bring their parents, their siblings, their dogs and cats. You know, and next thing you know, you've got more people than you could possibly house. If you've got a three-bedroom, two-bath house and the power's off, are you, how are you going to sleep 28 people in that house? So I like to say, start thinking in terms of, of numbers like, well, two people are like toddlers. They can get in a lot of trouble. Three people, two people start getting together, they usually vote one out. Four people start polarizing to two and two. Five people really is the beginning of a team. So anywhere, anywhere between five, seven, and eight people is a great team, but a group, you can, go, you can go as many as you want as long as you can manage them and have the resources. So start thinking in resources like length of time rather than quantity. If you end up and you find that you're going to have 25 people, do you, what is your length of time that you want to survive? I've got people that want to survive for two years. Two years worth of food for 25 people is a large nut. Wow. How, where are you going to put that? How are you going to rotate it? Who's in charge of it? So don't let yourself get too big too quickly. If you have any say-so in the matter whatsoever, I would say start looking at people that have skills that you need. They don't have to be EMTs or combat medics. Do they know some basic medical stuff? You, you know all about that, how to build the, the survival group medic. How about somebody that knows a little bit about security, somebody that knows how to produce food? You know, anybody like that, those would be great people to have around. If you've got somebody who uh, doesn't have any skills whatsoever, well, there's got to be something they're good at. If not, you've got to decide, should we talk to them or not? And that includes spouses and children of other people. And start thinking about the medical situation. Do we need durable medical equipment? If grandma is on a walker or a battery-powered wheelchair and you have to, to bug out, how are you going to manage that? Maybe you start need to think about that kind of equipment and that process too. That is something that I get all the time, people wondering what they're going to do with their family member who's had a transplant or who is elderly or who had a, a foot amputated due to a diabetic foot ulcer. 
there are all these situations that make really for a hard reality. You have to you have to really think of some hard realities when it comes to survival and and what is actually doable and what isn't doable. And and this is indeed one of the tough ones. And if you have people like that that are going to be in your group that have special needs, you have to make sure that you've taken those into account and, and thought of a lot of different a lot of different scenarios where they may have an issue and you have to know what plan of action you have. Sure. Look at Hurricane Katrina. Look at the people that that's a, that's a survival group activation opportunity right there. Hurricane Katrina, you've got to leave New Orleans. The levee's breaking. You've got people that you've got to evacuate. You need to think about your clearance time and how you're going to get out before something like that is likely to happen. That's why it's important to know your hazards and how you're going to evacuate with those people. Let's talk a little bit about how decisions are made in a survival group. How does that work? Well, there's a, there's a number of different things that we wrote about in our book and in our consulting uh, for groups. Uh, there's four different ways that a, an idea can be passed up through a survival group. Uh, but start thinking at a lower level. There's a difference between an individual decision and a group decision. An individual decision is really something like, okay, I'm lost all alone. How am I going to get water, shelter, and food to sustain myself. The same kind of question happens in a group, but now you got to start thinking about other people in that. How am I going to, how are we going to manage that? How are we going to get enough water? What are we going to carry it in? How are we going to get it back to our camp? How are we going to signal for help? What happens if we need to split up or send somebody for help? So all of those questions and decision-making things are really important when it comes down to it. So think about your survival as whether, uh, if you're single or if you're in a group. Even though you're in a group, you still have to have single decision-making uh, authority with yourself and be able to believe in that. So what's a simple decision-making model? Identify the problem. Identify some solutions. Try the solutions. If it doesn't work, try another solution until it does work and move out. And once you make a decision, commit to it. You've got to be firm in your decision-making when it comes to survival. And survival is not just, you know, I'm stuck out in, you know, out in the woods with Bear grills and a camera crew. It could be I got a flat tire and I'm stuck on the side of a highway or out in a dark road somewhere. I crashed into a snow drift and now it's just me and, you know, my child in, the, in a car seat. So what am I going to do with that? So start thinking about how you're going to accomplish things and set yourself up for success. Put the stuff in your pockets or in your vehicle or in your office so that you'll have those resources. We, I just did an article for a magazine for sheltering in place. Set yourself up so that when you make the decisions for what you're going to do, you have some resources at hand. That's really the best you can do because luck favors the prepared. That is absolutely right. Food, it's water, it's ways to defend yourself, it's medical supplies. There are a lot of different things that the prepared person has thought of in terms of not only a plan of action, but the materials that would implement that plan of action successfully. Absolutely. And when you get a group together, if, you, if you're now operating as a group, I like to use the committee model for getting things done. You've got people in charge of food production, security, medical. You know, you spread those things out. They come together and they start making decisions for the group. And I like a, a number of five or five and seven. I like odd numbers for a committee that's going to start making group decisions. A lot of groups like to have like a mayor or president or, you know, the sheriff or whatever you want to call them. That is the tiebreaker or the final decision maker in the group. But that's what we talk about. We, we create entire governing systems for small groups and large communities. So if you need any help with that, certainly reach out to us. We'll get you some. Now, all that's in your book? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 
The survival group handbook is about 300 pages of stuff that people say, I'd never even thought about that. And, and what comes to mind is Donald Rumsfeld said, well, we got the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. Remember that conversation? <laughs> the unknown unknowns are what are really going to come and bite you in the rear end. You've got to know. You've got to try to reduce the no, unknown unknowns. And that's wow. all in the book. Well, that's great advice. Charlie, we're running out of time, but I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, how we can get a copy of your book, how we can reach out to you, uh, what resources you have for our listeners. Well, you can find us at www.readygoprep.com, readygoprep.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all of the social medias. The book is actually on Amazon.com. Just search up the Survival Group Handbook. It's in paperback and Kindle. Uh, so you can get it there, or if you really want an autographed copy, you can reach us out at, at uh, readygoprep.com. And check out our blog on readygoprep.com and uh, a lot of our resources. We have DVDs with all of the blank documents that you need to fill in your pandemic planning, your communications planning. All of the planning is there on our Group to Go DVD your perimeter defense DVD, all of those great ideas are all on disc, and I'll be happy to get them to you. Awesome. Charlie Hogwood, author of the Survival Group Handbook, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Take care. And that's all we have this week for the Survival Medicine Hour. You've been listening to Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, Joe Alton, MD, Amy Alton, ARMP, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.